0: Hey, what's up? This your boy, Ricky Shah. And this is another episode of Shout Side. Check it out, man. I'm sorry about it being late, but I was really wanting this to be perfect. You know what I mean? This is a Black History episode. Wanted to make sure it was like pristine. Um, I was uh, helped by a lot of people and I want to thank them toward the end. But right now, I just want you to enjoy, all right? Of the two people that topped my list to spotlight, only one grace is my arm currently. My tattoo of Malcolm X costed more than I want to admit, but I'm happy with the results. My goal is to get Martin Luther King on it as well, but a tattoo is definitely something that takes more money than I currently have available. Needless to say, goals nonetheless. These two individuals, Martin and Malcolm, are often celebrated heavily during Black History Month. Usually, especially in the hands of white media, they're shown within the same spotlight without the goal of diversifying the public's knowledge of the two from birth to assassination. i like to set more of a unique focal point for the analysis of the lives of Martin and Malcolm, two of the most charismatic and prolific black leaders of our time. I'm going to play portions from a few key speeches and reflect in a very realistic way as we time travel back to gain a better understanding of what was going on at the time. Malcolm X was known as a fiery speaker, unafraid to take it beyond the ideal of suitable PR. He was a polarizing individual, but he cared about his people being equipped with not only knowledge, but the truth. Well now, uh, in this uplift of the black
1: man and unwilling to wait, what specifically do you want to do? Uh, number one, the
2: honorable I think it should be pointed out clearly that as Muslims, we are not a political group, nor are we a civic group, but rather, we are a religious group. When I say that we're not a political group, uh, I'm letting, it's, it's being made plain there that uh, we are not relying on the politicians for a political solution. Because uh, experience has taught us that in the past, the politicians have promised but never delivered. And if we rely on a politician, we feel we're going right around in circles like our people have been doing here in America a hundred years since Lincoln issued the so- so-called Emancipation Proclamation.
0: Malcolm X is now popularly seen as one of the two greatest martyrs of the 20th century black freedom struggle. Obviously the other being Martin Luther King, but in the spring of 1964, when Malcolm X gave his ballot of the bullet speech, he was regarded by the majority of white Americans as a menacing character.
2: Mr. Moderator, Reverend Clee, brothers and sisters and friends, And I see some enemies. In fact, I think we'd be fooling ourselves if we had an audience this large and didn't realize that there were some enemies present. This afternoon, we want to talk about the ballot or the bullet.
0: Malcolm X never directly called for violent revolution. But he warned that African-Americans would use, quote, any means necessary, end quote, especially in armed defense. The ballot of the bullet became one of Malcolm X's most recognizable phrases, and the speech was one of his greatest orations. Two thousand people, including some of his opponents, turned out to hear him speak in Detroit. President Lyndon Johnson was running for reelection in 1964, and Malcolm X declared it the year of the ballot of the bullet
2: as i say if we bring up religion we'll have differences we'll have arguments we'll never be able to get together but if we keep our religion at home keep our religion in the closet keep our religion between ourselves and our god but when we come out here we have a fight that's common to all of us against the enemy who is common to all of us
3: Yeah.
4: Woo.
1: Yeah. Uh. And fuck living like a slave I'd rather die a free man Like I was Morgan in the play I can hear these niggas talking But I know it's all just hate If they really think they rapping Watch me put them in their place Woo. Thinking like Malcolm X Preaching like Martin Luther Hot purer than gold But skin darker than Kunza. Letting go in the past I'm living life for the moment Ironic I'm the future Jay Will said, you own it's it like Now let the beat breathe Yeah I'ma show them I can get it, I'ma show them there's a purpose. If they ever think indifferent, I'ma show them that I'm worth it. Now let the beat breathe. I'ma show them I can get it, I'ma show them there's a purpose. If they ever thinking different. I'ma show them that I'm worth it. Show them that I'm worth it. Uh. The political philosophy of black nationalism only means
2: that the black man should control the politics and the politicians in his own community. The- The time, the time when white people can come in our community and get us to vote for them so that they can be our political leaders and tell us what to do and what not to do is long gone.
0: He outlined a new global sensibility in the fight for racial justice. Quote, we intend to expand the struggle from the level of civil rights to the level of human rights. You see, as we go back and forth with Malcolm the Martin and Martin to Malcolm, we start seeing the changes in their lives as their orations or as their speeches change as well. You see, Martin didn't believe in what Malcolm believed in totally and vice versa. They all wanted the same goal, kind of. The fight for civil rights that black people were having back then, that ended up being something that Martin took back years later. Fight for human rights was something that Malcolm always went for. At this point in Malcolm's life, he was now free of the Nation of Islam's ban on members participating in the mainstream civil rights movement. He then encouraged black militants to get involved in voter registration drives and other forms of community organizing to redefine and expand the movement.
2: We must, we must understand the politics of our community and we must know what politics is supposed to produce. We must know what part politics play in our lives. And until we become politically mature, we will always be misled, led astray or deceived or maneuvered into uh, supporting someone politically who doesn't have the good of our community at heart. You
0: know, as a man that came up in a Christian home where Christian values were very, very much a part of our day as African-American values, I like to believe that Martin Luther King started off being a radical. You see, even on the steps of Washington, D.C. in 1963, when he delivered the I have a dream speech, you even heard him speaking of a check back then. I'm taking this from The Washington Post and quote, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cast a check. Quote, he went on to accuse the United States of being a moral skin flint when it came to honoring the debts of justice End quote, It is obvious today that America has defaulted on its promissory note in so far as our citizens of color are concerned. Now, I mean, saying that on the steps of Washington, D.C., back in 1963, years before he passed or years before he was assassinated, excuse me, I think it's telling he was always on the route to that transition. And that's why I got to give him credit. Now, many, if not most people would tell you that their favorite Martin Luther King speech was his famous I have a dream speech. Largely an impromptu and anecdotal story of a dream he had for a more unified America. Given at the March on Washington in 1963, the gathering boasted some 250,000 people. It definitely was one of the most famous speeches in history, but almost didn't go down that way. You see, in much the same way a party goer may walk up to the DJ and request a song, Mahalia Jackson, you know, the most noted gospel singer at the time, had already performed and asked King to tell him the one about the dream, Martin. Well, history was made. Whether strides were made, however, is debatable. Martin's life would change drastically in the years to follow. And in about five, he would be assassinated but not before giving my favorite speech of his. I don't know what its title is officially, but his eyes were once again set for Washington, D.C. as he exclaimed, we're coming to get our check.
1: At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to fall, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check.
0: This is where King talks about the unfair practices of the federal government. This is what I think led to his demise. Martin Luther King was a radical. Malcolm X was a black nationalist. But oftentimes, through the white lens, they appear much different, right? Sanitized or even whitewashed, for lack of better words. You see, this is why I say we need our own media. We need more of the power to tell our own stories. And though we're the only ones that can give us that or get that for ourselves, it's always going to be people to keep us from that goal. Remember when Cosby tried to buy the station back in the day? Yeah. Changed his life drastically, didn't he? Remember when Ice Cube tried to team up with LL Cool J and buy a couple of stations? You know why they rejected them? I think I got an idea why. We need the power to tell our own stories. And we need the people who have the power right now to relinquish that. There's no need to have a monopoly out here as far as media. Everyone should be able to tell their own story. And that's why black history is important to me. So whenever I get black people come up to me and say, black history is 365, I get kind of perturbed by that. This is a special time for us. Focus on history more so that we can learn from it and move even more Calculate it into the future. You see, if we don't learn from history, it's in danger of repeating itself. Hello, everyone, joining us. My name is James Caldwell, and welcome to Underscore, a game show for those who actually enjoy thinking. Today our theme is Black History, as we delve into the lives of a few figures that may or may not have gotten their flowers while they were here with us. Little known black historical facts is the theme, but let's meet the contestants before we go into the category, shall we? First, from Chicago's southwest side, he went to Austin High School and went on to pursue a career at FedEx, where he now drives during the day and definitely has the BBQ for the low on the weekends. Aaron, say hello to our beautiful audience. Hey, everybody out there. Yo, I got to clear this up, though. That barbecue thing was actually specifically for you to partake, my man. Uh, my apologies. Yeah, that was just just in case you needed some catering. Thanks. Uh, I'll keep that in mind, Aaron. Uh, Let's keep this thing moving. Helen from Boston, Massachusetts, our new contestant graduated with a finance degree from none other than Indiana University. Hi, Barbara.
5: Hello, how's it going?
0: Fine, just fine. But uh, I was just curious of one thing. What made you go to school in Indiana?
5: It's simple. I received a scholarship to pursue my studies there.
0: Okay. How was it?
5: It was okay. I got my sheepskin, so I made it out okay.
0: Indeed, Barbara. And what made you, a Caucasian woman, want to come on a show about black history, of all things?
5: Well, I took black history while in college, and I was Definitely intrigued.
0: In Indiana?
5: Yes, sir.
0: Oh, as an elective, right? Yeah. (laughs) Ah, I see now. Okay, so next we have Willie, a retired teacher from the South. Willie, I don't know why my card doesn't say it, but where are you from? Actually, Charlotte. Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, welcome to the show. And uh, what did you teach? Uh, Physical education. Chemistry, actually. Gym teacher, huh? All right. Did you give laps to the bad kids? You bet the syndication, you sure I did. I heard uh, that. <laughs> this man says syndication. <laughs> right on, brother. <clears throat> well, you young lady, you're next. So, uh, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure.
6: But wait, James, you mean to tell me you don't have a card for me?
0: Oh, see, you didn't have to put me on the spot. I mean, actually. My favorite intern was absent today, so someone mixed your info and your card up with the past guests. Please forgive me.
6: No worries, James. I'm very honored to be here, and I pray for the show's continued success. My name is Ebony, and I'm from Chicago, but I decided to attend college at Howard University, HU, where I pledged Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, a.k.a and I left with a degree in poli-sci. What side of the are you from, bro? Southeast. You heard of Peel Hill? Yeah, I got some peoples over around there.
0: That's crazy. You heard about what happened to Kenwood's liquors? Yeah, I heard it's gone. People, people, people. Not to interrupt, but we've got to get through these intros and on with the show. We've only got a short stick of people's attention span to work with. (laughs) Okay, this game show is a lot like Jeopardy. There are several categories that you will be able to choose from, and then you can pick the dollar amount as well. From 100 to $400, 100-level questions will be the easiest, all the way up until 400-level questions being the most difficult. The categories are as follows. People, places, history, inventions. Use those buzzers in front of you to answer, and remember to answer in the form of a question. Let's see who will be the first to answer by hitting the buzzers on the count of three. One, two, three. All right, Barbara? You've won the right to pick the first category, so what's it going to be?
5: I will take People for 100.
0: He was one of the original members of the Black Panther Party and actually was responsible for adopting the Black Fist as a symbol of the movement. Uh, Who is Huey Newton? I'm sorry, Willie, that is incorrect. Okay, what say you, Barbara? Who is Bobby (laughs) Seale? Unfortunately, that is also incorrect. The answer was indeed Stokely Carmichael. Stokely who? Ebony, is everything all right over there? I noticed you're looking for something. Is everything okay?
6: My buzzer isn't working.
0: Are you sure?
6: Yes, I'm sure. I hit it and it didn't sound. And I knew the answer.
0: So you knew the answer was sticky clam apples.
6: That's not funny, Aaron.
0: Okay, let's get a repairman out here and assess the button, guys. Uh, we'll take a short intermission, folks, and we'll be right back.
1: message from
0: about your wireless account oh all you people with cell phones y'all know what this call is about
1: please access your account
0: online she wants her money listen she can't get it until i'm ready though hey a lot of you guys might think that you can't help or keep a show going well you play a big part in helping us out see we got to keep the phones on and keep the rent paid and all that type of stuff so that shout side can keep getting made now sometimes things happen but with the proper support we don't have to go anywhere right
1: forward slash my wireless or return our call
0: at 1-800 look ladies shut up you guys help us to stay up and donate that cash app is r-o-o-k-i-e-c-h-i again that's r-o-o-k-i-e-c-h-i don't forget the dollar sign in the beginning and if you guys pledge more than $30, guess what? I send gifts back. Well, let's get back to reality, right? Let's get back to the show and let's shut this lady up. Thank you for using. Kwame Ture, a.k.a. Stokely Carmichael, was a prominent organizer during the Civil Rights Movement. Born in Trinidad, he grew up in the United States from the age of 11. He was a key leader in the development of the Black Power Movement, first while leading the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Then, as an honorary prime minister of the Black Panther Party.
7: We have to recognize who our major enemy is. The major enemy is not your brother, flesh of your flesh, and blood of your blood. The major enemy is the honky and his institutions of racism. That's the major enemy. That is the major enemy. And whenever anybody prepares for revolutionary warfare, you concentrate on the major enemy. We're not strong enough to fight each other and also fight him. We will not fight each other today. We will not fight each other. There will be no fights in the black community among black people. There will just be people who will be off. There will be no fights. There will be no disruptions. We are going to be united.
0: He was responsible for adopting the black fists as a symbol of the black movement that today is widely imitated and used. Frustrated with the two party political construct, especially after the 1964 Democratic National Convention, he decided to develop independent all black political organizations, including the Black Panther Party. His popularity peaked in the 1960s and even spawned the paranoia of the director of the FBI who secretly identified Carmichael as the man most likely to succeed Malcolm X as America's black messiah.
7: We must begin to develop number one, and this is the most important thing we can do as a people. We must first develop an undying love for our people, our people, our people, our people. people. We must develop an undying love as is personified in Brother Huey P. Newton. Undying love for our people. Undying love. If we do not do that, we will be wiped out. We must develop an undying love for our people. Our slogan will become, first, our people, then, and only then, Me and you as individuals, our people first, our people first. J.
0: Edgar Hoover and the FBI targeted him for personal destruction through its COINTELPRO program. In 1998, he indeed died of prostate cancer. But before passing, he said that his cancer was given to him by forces of imperialism and claimed they infected him with cancer in an assassination attempt. So the Harriet Tubman we know was born into slavery around 1849. But we don't actually know the exact date. She escaped to the north to help others to freedom some 13 times. Can you believe that? How should be the question on our minds. Did she manage in the middle of racist America to take over 70 enslaved people to the same freedom she made it to? I'm sure you've heard about the Underground Railroad by now but I really hope you know of its significance to the timeline of Black history.
4: Born into slavery on Maryland's eastern shore, Harriet Tubman escaped to freedom in 1849. It was just the first of her many dangerous forays, leading runaway slaves from safe house to safe house.
5: Harriet Tubman was a very spiritual, very religious person and carried this um, hymnal with her on her trips to bring people out of the Eastern Shore in Maryland. She would often sing with them and pray with them. And is this her favorite song? um, Many of the pages have little X's that designate those hymns as her favorites.
4: Oh, okay. Wow.
5: This shawl, uh, evidently, this was a very favorite piece of hers.
4: It was tiny.
5: Um, Very tiny. But she was very strong, very determined, very directed, and had a kind of forcefulness and a kind of authority that people felt when they were with her. You know, they followed her orders and did what she said. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't, uh, she uh, very uh, famously threatened to shoot them because she couldn't risk alerting Mm. the enemy to their presence. Wow. Just took
4: charge.
0: What an amazing woman. You see what I mean? I mean Dennis Haysbird is definitely an African American, but I mean it sounds whitewashed to me. This is the all state guy. I mean, it sounds watered down. I mean this is the woman that would literally fill you with lead for being on the fence with your freedom. To want freedom is one thing, but to change your mind and risk the lives of everyone on the mission, it just wasn't an option for her. Harriet's answer for that problem was a small pistol that she carried with her. Mostly for the police. I mean, uh, slave catchers of the time. But if you were a coon that feared the master enough to compromise the mission? Catons. That was it for you. During her days of serving in the Civil War, she carried with a sharpshooter's pistol. I wonder what lies America told her to utilize her talents as a skilled navigator. See how much better it sounds when we tell our own stories? Yet, I digress. By secret paths and
4: waterways, Tudman did lead dozens of slaves to freedom. But her experience also made her a valuable military asset. The skills
8: she gained as a young woman in terms of the ability to you know, go in the woods and travel in
4: strange places, translates into very useful skills for the Union Army. On the night of June 2nd, she planned a covert operation on the Kumbahee River. As dawn broke, They took three plantations by surprise. Tubman gave a signal, and the enslaved people rushed to freedom. They burned storehouses and destroyed crops, crippling supply lines. One Confederate captain fumed their success was complete.
0: A leading abolitionist before the American Civil War Tubman also helped the Union during the war, working as a spy, among other roles. Originally named Armentia Harriet Ross, Tubman was nicknamed Mitty by her parents. Armentia changed her name to Harriet around the time of her marriage, possibly to honor her mother. Physical violence was a part of the daily life of Harriet and her family. The violence she suffered early in life caused permanent physical injuries. Tubman later recounted. In a particular day when she was last five times before breakfast, she carried the scars for the rest of her life. The most severe injury occurred when Tubman was an adolescent. Sent to a dry goods store for supplies, she encountered a slave who had left the field without permission. A man's overseer demanded that Tubman help restrain the runaway. When Tubman refused, to oversee it through a two pound weight that stuck in her head. Tubman endured seizures, severe headaches, and narcoleptic episodes for the rest of her life. She also experienced intense dream states, which she classified as religious experiences. Tubman remained active during the Civil War, working for the Union Army as a cook and nurse. Tubman quickly became an armed scout and spy. The first woman to lead an armed expedition in war. She got at the Combahee River Raid, which liberated more than 700 slaves in South Carolina. Tubman died of pneumonia on March 10, 1913, surrounded by friends and family at around the age of 93. As Tubman aged, the head injuries sustained early in her life became more painful and disruptive. She underwent brain surgery at Boston's Massachusetts General Hospital to alleviate the pains and buzzing that she experienced regularly. Tubman was eventually admitted into the rest home named in her honor. She was buried with military honors at Fort Hill Cemetery in Auburn. Lots of crazy things happened in 2016. My dad died and so did Muhammad Ali. And also the U.S. Treasury Department announced that Harriet Tubman would replace that of Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. Well, in all of the craziness that was 2020, it was to be the commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th minute. You know, the one about women getting the right to vote. Here it is, 2021, and Andrew Jackson is still on the $20 bill. For the first time in American history, the vice president's seat is held by a woman. I like to say a black woman, but we'll say woman of color for now. I mean, damn, America, would it kill you to just keep at least one promise? Oh, you know what that music means. Here we go again. Okay, we're back. We had a few technical difficulties we had to work through, but it's all good now. Are you sure? What's that, Ebony?
6: Are you sure? Because I still haven't been able to make this thing light up or buzz.
0: That's because it's not active until after I asked the question.
6: Mine works.
0: Me too. <laughs> <clears throat> well, since technically nobody got the last one right, Barbara, you still have the floor to pick another category. What shall it be?
5: I'm going to go with inventions for 100.
0: Okay. He invented the filament that allowed for us to see at night via light bulbs. Is it Thomas Edison? Uh, in the form of a question, Aaron.
6: Ah, uh, uh, my bad. Who is Thomas Edison?
0: That is incorrect.
6: Come on, Aaron. You know Thomas isn't a black man, right?
0: Easy for you to say, but you didn't answer.
6: It's Lewis Howard Latimer.
0: Sheesh. Ebony, I'm sorry. That's the right answer, but you didn't answer in the form of a question or use the buzzer, so... The buzzer
6: doesn't freaking work, James. I've told you this.
0: Barbara, pick the next one, please. Uh,
6: okay.
5: How about history for 100?
0: Back in the 50s, led by J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, what covert operation aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, desecrating, and disrupting domestic American political organizations helped to neutralize many prominent black leaders, including Martin Luther King and Malcolm X? Oh my
5: God, I should know this.
0: What is the man? Wait, what? No. You know better than me was the man. Ebony, please tell me you know this one
6: it's co pro
0: in the form of a question please
6: what is Co-intel pro
0: now if we could get you to hit the buzzer we'd be in business and i could award you points
6: whatever
0: let's pause right fast for station identification guys
6: you need to get someone in here to fix this damn buzzer i think i'm on the wrong
5: show
0: be right back ladies and gentlemen By the time the man named Muhammad Ali transitioned out of boxing permanently, he had 61 fights, 56 of them were wins, 37 of those wins were by KO. By the time the champ or the greatest, as we called him, transitioned from life, we found out the most difficult fight he'd had to date actually was with the United States of America. You see, his view on the Vietnam War was a unique one, and having a beef with the war we fighting meant you had a beef with America.
7: It has been said that I have two alternatives. Either go to jail or go to the Army. But I would like to say that there is another alternative, and that alternative is justice.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Muhammad Ali has just refused to be inducted
1: into the United States Armed Forces.
0: Enjoying the programming? I'm glad. But to tell you the truth, it takes quite a bit of effort to get all of that you're able to hear from the click of a mouse or your fingertips for all you phone users. ShoutSide aims to please, but we need all of you in order to keep creating this programming for your listening pleasure. Being a ShoutSide is made in-house, some of you may think it's inexpensive. That's true, but that doesn't mean we don't have any expenses. We have to keep the phones on so the interviews keep coming. We have to keep the lights on so we can see what we're doing. Heck, we gotta keep gas in the car for the times when we go on location. Any way you look at it, we need your support from posting and reposting shout size shows and posts to donating and ordering merch from the website. We need you guys. Hey, for those who you can, anything you can give will be appreciated. The Cash App is R-O-O-K-I-E C-H-I. That's R-O-O-K-I-E-C-H-I. Thank you guys for listening and back to the podcast. How Muhammad Ali didn't make it up the list of who was COINTELPRO is beyond me. But to me, it's one of the many things that makes me proud to honor him. Standing at a height of 6'3", weighing in between 210 and 224 pounds throughout his professional boxing career, Ali was universally regarded as one of the greatest athletes of the 20th century. In 1960, he became an Olympic gold medalist. But in four short years, he would become the world heavyweight boxing champion. All right, let's rewind to a 12-year-old Cassius Clay, as he was called by his mother, and find out what made him start boxing in the first place, right? Clay discovered his talent for boxing through an odd twist of fate. After his bike was stolen, Clay told a police officer, Joe Martin, that he wanted to beat up the thief. Police officer said, well, you better learn how to fight before you start challenging people, Martin reportedly told him at the time. In addition to being a police officer, Martin also trained young boxers at the local gym. Clay started working with Martin to learn how to spar and soon began his boxing career. In his first amateur bout in 1954, he won the fight by a split decision. You see, the thing that I think made Ali so great, other than his heart, of course, Was his height combined with speed? Now, heavyweights aren't known for speed all the time, all right? Now, we've got some exceptions to that rule, Mike Tyson being one of them, Ali being another. But Mike Tyson even admitted that Ali scared the shit out of him. He said Ali would take it further than he was willing to go, even. And that Ali wouldn't stop until one of y'all died. When you were watching Ali get beaten
8: up as an old man, even that was a young kid, he's not going to quit. You got to kill him. He won't quit. Even he' he was getting beat up every round, getting the shit kicked out of my at home. And said, Champ, no, come on let me out. Come on out. They wouldn't stop. It. He had to be, he would have to stay up there and just take the beating like a man. He he wouldn't quit. Um, and a way I respect the guy like that so much. I have so much admiration for a guy like that so much. But it's just not right to do that way as a human being. just say it's over, I'll come back and fight another day else. You got me. You know, and listen, um, I always like to think I'm a bad motherfucker, vicious motherfucker. I'm a, I don't give a fuck. But I'm, that's a part of Ali. That's that's where he overshines me because I can't understand a man that's willing to really die for this, you know. And I talk that shit, but he he's the real dick. Mike, you're such a good dude. That's real talk. Ali's a savage. He's an animal. He's a different breed of person. He's not like us.
0: Now, that's no fear. Drafted into the military in April 1967, Ali refused to serve on the grounds that he was a practicing Muslim minister with religious beliefs that prevented him from fighting. He was arrested for committing a felony and almost immediately stripped of his world title and boxing license. The U.S. Department of Justice pursued a legal case against Ali, denying his claim for conscientious objector status. He was found guilty of violating selective service laws and sentenced to five years in prison in June of 1967, but remained free while appealing his conviction.
1: Tell me champ, would you have been prepared to go into the army if it hadn't I've been for the
8: Vietnam War? No, Under no conditions did we take part in wars to take lives of other humans.
1: Houston, Texas, eight o'clock Friday morning. Enter Clay with bodyguard. To him, larger bodyguard of cameramen and reporters.
7: How's it going to go this morning? Still going to not take the step. No comments. No comments? No comments. Your action will be registered in a matter of two or three hours from now.
1: Still no comments. You're registered here right now. But you know that you're not going to take the step. Is that not true? No comments. Why have you suddenly... Clay's first taste of military life, and quite possibly his only one, was at the induction or call-up center at the old post office building in Houston. Just before lunch, it's all over. But Clay's not telling what happened in the private ceremony where one pace forward would have meant acceptance of the call-up. If he needs me, we'll be talking to a here. No
8: comment. All of that will be in here. Everything you can he will be in here right after the uh,
1: things from Clay himself, nothing. The man they used to call the Louisville lip and cast the gas had forsworn speech for the time being. Are you talking to us, champ? All
7: I have here is uh, uh, statements that I have prepared. Statements that I have prepared answering all of your questions on future fights. Come on,
8: Eddie. The future period. Anything you can think of. Uh, I have the statements, and I have them to be
7: released now. Could you state briefly why you declined? No, I will not say nothing. It's all in here.
0: Unable to compete professionally, in the meantime, Ali missed more than three prime years of his athletic career. Ali returned to the ring in 1970 with the win over a man named Jerry Quarry. The U.S. Supreme Court eventually overturned the conviction in June of 1971. Now, to go through that much, come back and still win, this is a part of why we call him the greatest. It's a hard thing to stop for years as an athlete, especially in your prime, and come back still on top. Hats off to the greatest. He retired from boxing at 39, but not before solidifying himself as one of the greatest athletes of the 20th century. In one of his more famously quoted descriptions, Ali told reporters that he could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee in the boxing ring. Ali may have made a lot of money with his fists, but he made many enemies with his tongue. He would often get into the mind of his opponents by simply talking, using media in many ways we still mimic to this day. You,
7: George Fullman, all of you chumps are going to bow when I whoop him. All of you, I know you got him. I know you got him picked. But the man's in trouble. I'm going to show you how great I am. This is the hardest hitter since Marciano. This man is greater than Joe Lewis. I've been reading what you're saying.
8: George Fullman knocked out Ken Norton, knocked out Joe Frazier. True, I didn't knock him out, but I'm so fast, I'm so hard hit, I'm so scientific. I'm a totally different man from Frazier Norton.
0: i like to say professional wrestling probably owes Ali a debt of gratitude for borrowing much of his swag in the ring. I know they did. Born August 17, 1887, Marcus Mosiah Garvey was founder and self-proclaimed first president and general of the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League. An activist, publisher, journalist, entrepreneur, and orator, Garvey was born to a moderately prosperous Afro-Jamaican family in St. Anne's Bay, Jamaica. As a teen, he apprenticed in the printing trade. He was committed to the belief that black people needed to secure financial independence from the white dominant society. His ideas became known as Garveyism. I
3: unequivocally rejected the racist assumption of much white American Christianity. Namely, that God had created the black man inferior, and that he had intended Negroes to be a servant class, use of wood and drawers of water. Well, I predicated my view of man on the doctrine of imago dei. All men, regardless of color, are created in the image of God. Now from this premise followed the equality of all men and the brotherhood of all men. The biblical injunction of Acts 17:26 reminds us that he created of one blood all nations of men that dwell on the face of the earth. I was most interested in brotherhood within his own race, because if Negroes are created in God's image and Negroes are black, then God must in some sense be black.
0: <laughs> Emphasizing unity between Africans and the African diaspora, he campaigned to end European colonial rule across Africa and the political unification of the continent. In a nutshell he envisioned a unified Africa as a one-party state. Ironically, he never visited the continent, but his views on black racial purity were reflected in his moves he made within the states. He was committed to the Back to Africa movement. He was a separatist, and his views were so extreme that he was even on record for collaborating with the KKK. Racial separation was a real thing for Marcus.
3: For 250 years, we have struggled under the burden and rigors of slavery. We were maimed, we were brutalized, we were ravaged in every way. We are men. We have hopes, we have passions, we have feelings, we have desires, just like any other race. The cries raised all over the world of Canada for the Canadians, of America, for the Americans of England, for the English of France, for the French of Germany, for the Germans. Do you think it unreasonable that we, the blacks of the world, should raise the cry of Africa for the Africans? <laughs>
0: Be fortunate as we have it. We have a game that's a four-way tie. Uh, Nobody has a point, though.
6: Excuse me, Mr. Host James, but if you would have had a working buzzer, the game would have been over by now. Fuck out of here.
0: You've been silent. Uh, Ladies and gents, the tension is real in the studio as we go on to the round three, believe it or not. Hey, James, how long is the green room open, man? I need a bagel like yesterday. Fam! I mean, uh, Aaron, how about you choose the next category? I'm still hungry, man. Let's go for places for $100. Where was Martin Luther King's March on Washington held? Where is Washington, D.C.? Correct. You
6: have got to be kidding
0: me. Ebony, shh! Aaron is first to get on the board, and now we have a game. Lame as fuck. Language, Please.
6: Well, if you can't fix a buzzer, I guess you wouldn't be able to bleep cursing out either. But that being said, fuck this show.
8: No, wait, wait. Come on. Hold hold up now. Wait, wait, baby, baby. You ain't got to be like that.
6: Fam, she from Shawtown. What you expect?
0: Guys, I hate to say it, but we may have to conclude the show for this session. You
6: need to get someone in here to fix this damn buzzer. (laughs) How are we going to have people on the show and not...
0: Thanks for tuning in to Underscore. And always remember, he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. Muhammad Ali. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Shout Side, uh, episode 006, Black History episode part one. All right, we're going to do part two in October because uh, October is the month that the UK chooses to celebrate black history. So we'll be back again uh, uh, in October. I want to thank everybody that like acted. So, you know, I played James. Uh, Aaron was played by Lou Menace. Barbara was played by Maeva Braxton. Willie played Derek Jones and Tori Collins played Ebony. So thanks to all the actors. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Please make sure you spread it. Please make sure you donate to keep us going and uh, stay tuned for October. Cause will be back for the second part. You know what I mean? Black history is American history. Love y'all.
1: Hey, Rook, this is your dad. I just was checking to see where you're at home. We're on our way home
0: now and just was making a check. Okay, take care.